What is <laughs> drilling over there anyway? Uh, at ten twenty at night, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I'm not. Sure. I mean, I'm guessing as to which neighbor it is, but I could be wrong. Hey, there, we're not going to put an adults only flag on this show, so we're not going to talk about what he's drilling at night. No, oh, jeez. <laughs> Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. You're fantastic at coding, but do you have an action plan to take it to the next level? The upcoming book, Next Level Freelance, will help you optimize your freelance business for happiness. The book is packed with actionable steps to make more money, case studies, tips to find more clients, and exercises for you to establish your desired lifestyle. Extras include nine interviews with freelancers who make great money while enjoying great work-life balance, videos on strategies to find quality subcontractors, and videos on making more free time by outsourcing your daily tasks. Check it out today, nextlevelfreelance.com. This episode is sponsored by Planscope. Planscope is a project management and collaboration app built for freelancers and the way they work with clients. It makes it easy to price out new estimates and once you're underway, help answer the question, will this get done on time and under budget? I've been using Planscope to do my estimates and manage my projects and I really, really like it. It makes it really easy to keep things in order and understand when things will get done. You can go check it out at planscope.io. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 103 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel we have Ruben Lerner. Hi everyone. Curtis McHale. G'day. Eric Davis. Hi. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and this week we're going to be talking about being on project teams with other freelancers. Now I'm sure that you guys have done this before. I'm not the only one. Do you have good stories or bad stories? Both. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say the same. So, have you been the project manager on any of those? On uh, the one I'm working with currently, I I guess I kind of am because they haven't. They just hired their in-house guy who started in the last couple of days. So, I have been running the development side mainly and interfacing with the one person on their end. Yeah, it depends. Do you mean the official title bearing project manager or the one who actually manages the project? Either or. I don't have the title, but I've been kind of overseeing all the development up to this point. Yeah, yeah I've been doing that. I mean, I have, I've got a project now that I'm working on that I'm managing a guy who works for me and uh, someone else in another country and sort of pulling it together. So, yeah. Yeah, I've I've had several projects where I've been managing the project or managing the people on the project, and it's always interesting to see where the challenges are. Let's talk about some of the issues that we run into with this. Curtis mentioned that he he had an issue with uh, somebody that he is or was working with. Yeah, so right now on a project, I was busy for a bit, and so I wasn't on it full-time. I was just on it part-time, and they hired someone to help augment my time because I didn't have a lot, who doesn't know PHP, doesn't know WordPress, and doesn't know version control at all, really. So that is my quote-unquote augmentation, which at this point costs me more than helps me at all. and, And your client, presumably, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, sure, they're paying him. I have no idea, but they're paying him, but they're paying me. <laughs> like, I know what they're paying me, and they're paying me to tell him how to check out branches and how to write a, like, super basic WordPress plugin. So what do you do in those instances? How do you how do you handle things like that? It's a little different if it's your subcontractor that's incompetent because you can fire him. Uh, kind of, yeah, even- which is what I do. So now they have one person in on site and he seems very good. He just started. But the questions he asks are knowledge transfer questions, not like, how do I do a foundational thing? Right. It's uh, how did you so set this up? I am thinking that once we get a little farther, a few more steps with the guy that's in-house that will be taking, taking, probably doing more of my role as he learns more, or as he gets up to speed on the project, that I will probably 
have a talk with him and then the official project manager and say, hey, like this other guy is costing us a lot of time and not giving us a lot. It takes me longer to do things. I'm, you know, he's been working on something for three weeks that I've told him how to do three times. And in 12 minutes, when it was finally my task, we fixed it. Have you, have you been asked by the client at all to evaluate this guy's uh, performance? Nope. I was away for a little bit and then came back because we had the baby. And so when I came back and he said he needed time, he said, oh, by the way, there's the new guy. And I went, oh, okay. And I can only find out that he's really into uh, Lord of the Rings. That's the only thing I see about him out there. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So one thing that comes to my mind, too, is that you could also, depending on how you invoice and track your time, is that you could put it on your invoice, you know, spent two hours explaining to so-and-so such-and-such, spent another hour explaining this other thing to this guy, you know, and so then you can actually, you know, kind of point that out on the invoice and say, you realize that it cost me six hours today or this week or whatever. Yeah, and I have done some of that because I've only had kind of part-time weeks or a couple days uh, up until this week. I have done that, like, you know, cleaning up this aspect or, you know, cleaning up this aspect after the developer or doing that. They haven't done, like, that's probably been 50% of my time when I've only had a little bit of time the last few weeks is cleaning up and teaching him how to do things that I think are pretty basic if you're hired to work in WordPress, right? So now I'm back to weekly, so I don't really uh, account for my hours so much. So they won't see that necessarily at this point. And they might see it as a plus, um, at least at the beginning, that you're helping this guy out and giving him some instruction. They might be less pleased if you're giving him instruction in very basic things and you're doing it repeatedly. Yeah, and he might be a good developer. He just doesn't write any of the languages or anything that we work with. Works in C or something and and Ruby. I know those Ruby guys, eh? (laughs) Those Ruby guys. So one thing that I've I've also done, I've been pretty straightforward usually with my clients, and so I've just let them know, look, you know, this is this is going to extend your timeline by this much, and it's going to cost you this much more because I have to babysit him. And, you know, I, I'm usually a little nicer about that, you know, and I give them all the caveats. Obviously, it's your call and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, if, if you can show them that it affects the bottom line, a lot of times the clients will just go, yeah, you can learn on somebody else's dime. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping today would uh, do that. On the thing, say the thing that he's been working on for three weeks that I fixed in 12 minutes and got a little frustrated on the call when we were still trying to talk about how to do it. I said, it's one line of code. I've given it to you. Why isn't it in yet? So I also look at the commit log and see that for three weeks, I am the only person who committed any code at all and think, really guys? Like, (laughs) where where did the rest of the code go? That's a great question. I know the one guy who just started, like he was very part time as well and he was working on a rather large-ish feature. So, it is. It could be another branch that I just didn't look at, or that he hasn't pushed, or something, and that's fine. But yeah, that's a great question. I, I like. I go to. I'm like. I'll just pull and see what everyone's done, and there's nothing. In fact, I think the only the first amount of code is pushed today in a special branch because he's got a broken plugin that I will have to go fix now. That I gave him most of the code for off the bat. That's nuts. I agree. So, so I'm kind of stuck. So I've been working for them long enough. Uh, this company um, since like ooh, September that I think that I can probably approach the main project manager and say, hey, here's some problems that I'm having, and I think we can do this better. I just, you you don't want to go in and say this other person's a moron, right? Let's just get rid of this person because they're a moron. Right, but you you, you might be able to go in and say, look, the way things are working right now, this is not to anyone's advantage. Maybe if you were to do the following tutorials or concentrate his time on some other part of the the task or, or something, then maybe after a month or two, you could get up to speed and then he'd be able to do the things you're asking him to do. Although if he's really not getting the super basic things, then that might point to bigger problems. 
I think Maybe. I have a And it might just be that he yeah. doesn't, like, he's never done WordPress, so he just wouldn't know how to write a plugin, right? But that's, when we're working in it, that you would assume you'd hire there's someone that of, can. Well, I, you, I've never written a WordPress plugin, and I know that there must be just a gajillion tutorials out there for how to do it. That's and right. But you know, if someone said, them. I'd like to hire yeah. Reuven to do my WordPress project, I would say, I really like Reuven. He's a good programmer. He does not write WordPress, though, so he's going to have to learn how to do that. Right? Right. Right. And that's what I do with my client. I mean, just yesterday I was talking to a guy who wanted me to do some backend stuff and maybe some Angular JS as well. I said, listen, I've been working with JavaScript for a while. I'm sure I can pick, and I've played with Angular. I haven't done anything serious with it. He said, okay, that's not a problem, but I'm glad you told me. So if you say it straight out, they're okay with it usually. But if you come in as the expert in that or as a professional in that, right, there's a, a level of minimum competence you're expected to have. Yeah, and I have no idea what discussion they had. I just know when I was introduced, I said, hey, this guy's an amazing developer. Someone in marketing says they're amazing. So, And this <laughs> is who you're working with now. And I said, oh, okay. And I did a quick search and went, I hope it's not the guy who's really into Lord of the Rings because that's the only thing I can find about him. Right? There's nothing else that says he works in WordPress at all. I don't even see anything that says he works in programming at all. And so then you know, when they said, oh, there's this other guy that we're bringing in full time, I looked up his name and went, oh, yeah, he does a bunch of WordPress stuff and he's written for Smashing Magazine and stuff. He's probably quite good, right? Like He probably has a good head start on everything and it will be more knowledge transfer or things like that than anything else. Yep. So uh, it, it's kind of out of your hands and, and that, that kind of sucks. I'm, I'm curious. I want to change the topic a little bit. Have you guys worked with the guy that... Uh, goes in and is kind of the cowboy, you know, he, he seems to know what he's doing, but he just kind of goes in and recklessly does stuff or, you know, does things that's not the way that the team does things or things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I've got a project like that now. It's a, it's a little tricky because basically I was approached by a company to take over me and my employee will take over their extremely large Rails application and our first task was to upgrade it from Rails 2 to Rails 3. And I said, look, that's a lot of work. It's a big application. Maybe we can work with the current outsourcing company, with one of their developers, and we'll all work together, and we'll do this upgrade, and then we'll take the code over. And, you know, he, he was, everyone thought this was you know, fine and a good idea, and we were moving forward. And basically, the guy from the original company, who has been working on it for the last few years, feels a very strong sense of ownership, and feels that the some of the decisions I've made have just been wrong. So after we make a decision or I make a decision and I say, we should do X and my employee implements X or vice versa. My my employee implements X and I say, yes, that was the way to go. So he goes in at night and changes the code back to the way he thinks it should be. And then, (laughs) so, so that's been difficult to manage to say the least. Yeah. I got one even more than that where, you know, I said we should do X had everyone on the team except for one guy say X looks good. The one guy said we should do Y. We basically said, okay, well, we can, we're not coming to any kind of consensus here. Let's ask the project managers. Kicked up to the project managers and the project owner. They all agreed X is the best thing. We did X. That guy went in later, changed it to Y, and then made the excuse, well, it's already changed. We can't change it back to X. <laughs> <laughs> it's Git. <Fired. laughs> it's real easy. Yeah. Well, and then I, I, it, I it ended up Break, like the way it worked is that it ended up not messing up data, but it stored data in a way where now you would have to port it to get back to X. And so once it was in and running, we uh, couldn't go back. And it, it actually caused the exact problems that I brought up of why we wanted to do it our way. Yeah, but hey, I mean, you know, maybe he had something else. I don't know. Yeah, I've worked on a, a project where one of the other guys on the team, we kind of get the word down that we wanted a particular feature. And he, he'd come in and he'd be the hero. So he'd be like, Oh, 
I'll totally cover that feature and we'll get it done and you guys just keep plugging along on the other stuff. And then like three days later, he'll come, he'd, he'd like disappear or he'd come back and he'd be like, all right, I'm bored with it now. Somebody else needs to finish it. Oh my God. <laughs> and it's just like, why do we have you here? I mean, if you, if you want to be the triage guy and you want to go out there and you want to get stuff off of our plate and out of our way, fine. But finish it. <laughs> yeah. That guy sounds like a real ninja developer. Yeah. As in he disappears well? Yes. <laughs> yeah. De- deadly, but deadly to the project. Yeah, I had something, I guess it was about six months ago, where I was called in similarly to sort of take over from or start working with some other consultants who had been working on it for about a year or so, and then maybe slowly but surely take over the code. And the code was just horrible. The code was horrible. The configuration was horrible. Sort of everything was horrible. And the deeper I got into it, the worse I thought it was. And so finally, after complaining for a while, they hooked me up with the guy directly because we'd been sort of talking indirectly through various means. And so I had also some Skype conversations with him where he basically insisted, no, 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 the way I'm doing it is totally the right way to go. I can't imagine doing it any other way. And so I was already sort of not sure if I wanted to continue working in this kind of relationship, even if eventually I was going to take over the code. And then they basically solved the problem for me by paying me late. And I said, okay, I'm out of here. And I can't say that I regretted it. And I would be shocked if they've actually launched, given the state of affairs when I left. I had a similar situation where instead of kind of being brought on to be brought up to speed to take over, they had basically let the other guy go and hired me to take over. And he was impossible to get a hold of. And so all of the pieces, all the parts of this code that he had touched were just totally a mess. And I couldn't get a hold of him to have him explain to me what he had been trying to do. And they couldn't explain to me what they had wanted done because it had been done so long ago. And so, yeah, eventually it was just, okay, well, just tell me what you would like it to look like now, you know, and, and, and we'd figure those features out. But some of that knowledge transfer would have saved them days or weeks of work. Have you guys taken over projects that have been built by larger firms? I've taken over projects that have been built by Hashrocket um, and Pivotal Labs, um, which are both big Rails consultancies here in the United States. And uh, it's always interesting to see what they've done and how they do things. No, I don't, I don't think I've ever done that. But my now my uh, dreamy vision is, wow, if I were to get code from there, obviously there would be no problems at all. But the yeah, reality is... That. Right, right. The reality is they're a consulting company. They hire people of all sorts of different shapes and styles and you know, experience levels. And at the end of the day, they're just trying to satisfy the client's uh, product needs, not necessarily make amazing code. I have a friend who used to have a very good business going in and cleaning up after none of the agencies we've mentioned, but some large Rails agencies who didn't launch very well. And he made very good money doing that for a number of years. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, these uh, consultancies put out good code, it looked nice, but sometimes they made decisions, I think, based upon something that they had cargo culted or that they had written themselves. And Trends. So, so there were a few things in there sometimes that were just like, okay, you could have done this in half the work if you had just used this other library or, you, you know, if you had just done this a little bit differently. But it's it's a lot easier, I think, to critique somebody else's code, especially if they're not working on the project anymore. Yeah, but we all do that type of stuff, yeah. right? Where we write, I write, you know, a solution that I like, and until someone says, "Hey, here's a way better one," and I agree, I just keep using it. Yeah. Well, not just that, but I mean, it could also, you know, it's 
what they, they don't know what they don't know. Like, you know, maybe they never heard of that library, you know, or maybe there's, you know, they had to implement it in half an hour. So they fell back on, you know, cargo culting because they couldn't research stuff. I mean, so there's, it's hard to really critique like what you get because there's, there could be a historic factor. There's a lot of personal relationship stuff that's kind of built around the code that you might not know versus like if it's actually a, something you're living right now, like that's something you can kind of see that at play and understand, you know, why some decisions might not be the best decision, but they're optimal for what you have. That's true. That's very true. And even the best code base is going to have some weirdness in it. I mean, this, this project that I just took over now, uh, or I'm taking over from, uh, you know, from this company in the Ukraine, where I looked at their code, I even gave it a, a fairly strong look over. I said, wow, you know, this is pretty well structured and nicely done and a reasonable number of tests and so on and so forth. And yes, overall, it's done very well. Until you open that one the- file. Right, right, except for the crazy monkey patches that they do in there. And, oh, yeah, it's also dependent on the host name that you have in DNS and all sorts of other little things that add up to nothing terrible but just frustrating to deal with sometimes. Yeah. One other thing that I've seen with uh, consulting firms handing out projects is that I did some work for a company that hired different consulting firms to build different parts of their app, and that doesn't necessarily make any of them wrong, but it also makes things inconsistent between the different parts of the code, and it's nice to have a consistent style and a consistent way of solving the same problem, and you just didn't get that from one piece of one part of the app to the other, and so you'd have to you'd have to figure out how one one group reinvented the wheel and then how the other group reinvented the wheel. Yeah, the schizophrenic oh, great. Now, one problem that I've seen with several of these, you know, multiple consultants on the same team is communication because everybody has a different way that they prefer to communicate with both the client and with other developers. How do you guys usually solve those problems? On the project I'm working on now, we're all using Trello for project management and then Skype chats for our communication. We have a group for the dev team, which is the project manager and me and the other two developers. So you just standardize around tools and say everybody has to use these? Yeah. The only issue I see with what we have right now is the one developer who's not really pulling his weight asks me all the dumb questions on a private chat just to me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's hard. Like I've been in that where it's like someone in one channel is, you know, appears very intelligent, but then in a back channel you can tell they have not a clue and it's like, well, talk about this in public so we can actually see how you really are and you don't have this fake face on. Yeah, that's totally what it is. Like yeah, asking me a question in the other chat. And when I have mentioned it in the group, generally it's like, oh, let's just take this offline. Uh, okay. Even in the call we had earlier today, same thing. I started to talk about something and he was like, ah, we can just talk about that after. We don't need to kill everyone's time on that. And then, like the project, to- then the project manager was like, okay. Yeah. What I like to do is either put it in a project management system that's completely visible to the entire team or use email for it and either through mailing lists or just having people CC it as like, you know, here's FYI type emails basically keep all the communication there. And the thing is, is, you know, if you and that guy go off on a rabbit hole to, you know, so you don't waste everyone's time at the end of it, you then email the entire team like, okay, here's what we talked about. Here's a summary. So everyone at the least can stay in the loop or if they need to look back at it later, like, why is it this guy's been working here 10 months? Why can't he still get it? And then they trace the history and see that he never actually knew it in the first place. But I mean, I've, I've always worked with smaller clients who are very transparent, very, like everyone on the team pulls their weight. So it's a little bit different for me. Yeah, you'd think with three people it would be obvious where weight's pulled and not, but we shall see. Yeah, I mean, my uh, 
uh, one of my daughters was, was doing a school project just recently and she was complaining that not everyone was pulling their own weight. And I told her that my software engineering class in college, we had three people working on a project. We were divided into teams and had to work on a project. And one of the people on my team was not pulling her weight. And so the other two of us went to the professor and we complained. He said, well, this is a class in software engineering teaching you how to deal with the real world. In the real world, you will work on teams where not everyone works equally well, and you still have to get the job done. So off you go. <laughs> and um, it was, I don't know if it was the nicest lesson, but it was a true-to-life lesson, that's for sure. Yeah, I had a class like that, and I got I got frustrated because we were like we were supposed to just make a project plan for doing something, but it, the professor wasn't very good at it, and it sounded like we had to actually implement it. So I ended up trying to convince people to do it. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. I ended up making the project plan and invent or implementing the entire uh, CMS website and gave it to the professor, and he's like, "Oh, I actually just wanted a project plan, but hey, you get an A anyways," and it ended up like. I did all the work. I didn't care because it, I mean, it was, I knew what I was doing. So it only took a few hours, but you know, it, you're always going to run into, they're always going to have people that don't know what they're doing or they don't care or they just, for some reason, it's just, they're not able to do it. Like I know one person, she wanted to help, but she actually didn't know enough. And for me to get her up to speed, it would have taken too much longer than the assignment. My experience with most of those class projects or group projects was that part of the assignment was actually giving a review of everyone else in your group. And so it became pretty apparent that somebody wasn't pulling their weight because everybody else in the group basically said, oh, so-and-so didn't do anything. But I don't know if there's a good correlation or a good, um, if there's something that's like that in the real world. Oh, I've, I've found that using a task tracker makes that pretty visible pretty quickly. Uh, I mean, there's a project I was working on years ago where uh, I had, I guess it was three of us working in my company, working with a bunch of their programmers in-house, and they were constantly accusing us of taking an extremely long time to do things. And we were like, no, 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 that's not true at all. And so finally we installed a task tracker, and immediately those problems disappeared because it was obvious that actually we were doing things on time, and when we would click it off as being done, well, there was no denying it. We had at least said we had done it. Someone needed to check it. So I I think you can remove some of those problems through more transparency and more communication. Yeah, and that's something that, that in theory, Trello can do. It doesn't have good stats to do that, though, right? So we like, I have, we have cards assigned to other developers, and I am the only one that's continued to move cards into the done pile for evaluation. And I have actually moved their cards into the next deploy pile many times, a couple times, because we've done a couple deploys and without things done. Well, and a lot of that comes down the project manager has to know what they're doing, whether it's, like I said earlier, the official one or the one who's actually running it, because I've seen developers hoodwink project managers and say, yeah, it just turned out really tricky. And, you know, like Curtis' story, it's maybe an hour project, maybe a 15-minute project that they spend three calendar weeks on. And a good project manager will spot that and be like, no, you told me it would take a day. Why aren't you doing it? And after enough occurrences of that, that person gets let go or moved to a position where they can't affect the project. Yeah, I found that a combination of three things tends to increase transparency. And one of them, as I mentioned, is a, a ticket tracker, job tracker. Um, I've tried Trello a little bit based on Curtis's recommendation, and I have to try it a little more. But truth be told, it really doesn't matter what you've got so long as it's clear what the tasks are and everyone's buying into that. So that's number one. Number two is having some sort of daily stand-up just so you can sort of know what people are working on and make sure people are moving ahead. Because if, if Joe says, not to pick on people named Joe, right, but if Joe says... I'm working on X and every single day he's working on X and he's not making progress. That's a pretty big sign. And then as you guys mentioned, uh, having some sort of open chat room also 
uh, where people can be very obvious about what they're working on, and if they're stuck, they can ask for help. And I think the combination of those tends to uh, weed out some of the, um, shall we say, slower workers, or encourages them to try to get up to speed. Well, and I mean, that's that's basically like business management 101. Like, mm-hmm. track what you're doing, review it, make sure, you know, it's what needs to get done is actually getting done, and have communication so that if there is a problem, you can take action on it. I mean, that, that goes back to, you know, as far back as people have worked together. Um, you know, tools, like modern tools obviously help, but you can do that with pen and paper. I know a company that does Kanban using actual, just index cards on a internal window, and they use the, basically the same process you described, but with just paper and talking in a face-to-face meeting. Yeah, I, I told uh, on this project we're getting from Ukraine, so the guy who works for me is a Russian speaker. And so I thought it was great. Oh, they'll be able to talk to each other in Russian. And there were all sorts of like mutual uh, accusations of various things from both sides. So I said, I kept begging them, please, 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 guys, put it all in the public chat room, and then I'll know what's going on, and I won't be surprised. So one morning I opened Skype to 200 messages, in Russian uh, between them, so that didn't really help me so much. But the but the thought was good. So you need to learn Russian. That's the takeaway, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, for me, there's some other issues. I mentioned like our day, our stand up often ends up being an hour, and I'm sitting around with my feet up because we're sitting around for an hour talking about screen sharing and trying to do things like that where everyone's just watching. So there's five, four people watching a screen share. Which is not a stand-up proper, I know. Oh my god! No, that I mean, I was never. This is probably a good thing. I never got any sort of formal training in agile and stand-ups and so forth. But I was fortunate enough to be part of an international team, probably five, six years ago already, where the person who was running it was, I thought, very effective at showing us how to do stand-ups, where they're quick to the point, make sure everyone's moving along, and if you have to go into more depth on a discussion, that's great. We'll set up another meeting for that. But that's not what we're doing now. Here's a scenario, because this, this I think a lot of freelancers are going to run into. What if you're in a project where you're working for a client and the client either has a subcontractor or, sorry, he has another contractor or an employee working for them. And that person to you isn't, you can tell they're incompetent. They don't know what they're doing. And it's not just your bias. You actually know, like they're making mistakes and you can point it out. How do you actually go to the client to tell them about it? Or do you even do it at all or just kind of let it go? I think it depends a lot on the client. Some clients will be open to that. Some of them, you know, well, that guy's been working for me for 50 billion years. And, you know, I just, I just can't, you know, I can't let him go. Or, you know, they, they think the world of him because they just don't know any better. And those, those are hard because you're effectively telling them something that they may not even believe is true. Whereas if, you know, if they're open to that kind of thing, then, then it's a little bit different. Yeah, I'm going to agree that that it depends on the client. I think I tend to try to be subtle with my hints if I think they're really bad. Like, (laughs) I can't remember any particular examples of this, but I think it would be more like pointing out the questions that they had or pointing out the time that they took to do things. And if it's once, if it's twice, fine, that's part of my sort of summary report. And I, I say that about everyone. But if it turns out the same person is taking a long time all the time and asking elementary questions all the time, then it's not my job to decide whether they should be fired, but at least the manager has the information they need to to come to that conclusion. Yeah, see, I always, I don't know, feels kind of like tattling in some ways, although I suppose they pay me to do that, right? To make sure that we're efficient. 
Right, right. Like, I mean, I, I've definitely found more and more over the years that part of my role in coming to these companies is they see me as someone who has experience and not just experience in the technology, but in what can be expected for someone at a particular level. And so often they'll ask me what I think about someone. And I try to be nice, but I also have to be honest. Yeah. So I have another scenario that I've run into, and that is I was on a team with a bunch of other contractors. And for the most part, everybody on the team kind of had an area that they would just go to and work on. And um, I was never really sure where to jump in. And so eventually I wound up just leaving the project because I couldn't get any clear direction on what to work on. So I wasn't billing very many hours. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just wasn't sure what to do there. I mean, do you have any suggestions for that kind of a situation? And that comes down to direction too, right? And in our, over the last three weeks, I've been saying to the one developer, this is your task, you need to do it. And that's my direction to do that. We also have like a list for the next deploy coming up and the tasks that on their cards and Trello that we can get done then. And so like if you're out of things, there's just jump in there and grab the next one or ask questions about it if you can't, you know, you're not sure. Yeah, it sounds like yeah, that project was sorry. very siloed and, you know, each person worked in their own little area and there wasn't the benefit of a good project manager to kind of say, well, Chuck, we're going to have you either take over your own silo or you're going to jump around and give you the resources and the ability to actually pick up work from people. Yeah. Right, right. The, the, someone should be giving direction or at least giving the heuristics for how to choose something. So like this project now that it's my guy and this guy from Ukraine. So I didn't want to start assigning tickets to them. Like, I, I just don't feel like spoofing that. But I asked them, what, how are you guys dividing it up? How, do, how would you like to divide it up? And they came up with a solution which or a system which I thought was more than reasonable. And they more or less stuck to it. So that sort of gave them a good feeling and empowered them. It reduced my workload. And it meant that things were done, I think, pretty efficiently. So you should have an, an ideal situation of had someone to whom you could go and ask. But there also should have been that same person who would notice that it wasn't clear that you were what you were doing or that you weren't billing them any hours and try to take advantage of your skill set. Yeah, and I kept pushing that and eventually I'd get one of the project managers would come and well, can you work on this? And so I'd get it done and then well, you know, but I'd I'd wind up waiting days between, you know, three to four hour jobs to do. So Yeah, what I did with a client is I told them like I'm available this week. You know, that's what you paid for. If you can't give me work, like if I'm sitting idle, that's your money being wasted. And that motivated them to give me like plenty of backlog to start working through. And, you know, when I finished through that, they're like, oh, well, let's just start grabbing things for Eric to do. But, you know, that goes back to proper planning and actually being on the ball stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and that's the thing. Like, you know, we've talked a lot about like, you know, if a contractor or an employee doesn't, you know, they're incompetent or they're not doing their job or they don't know their job. But I mean, it also works for managers and people running the project. And I mean, all jokes about, you know, the management stuff aside, you know, it's a hard job to do. But if you can find someone that knows how to do it, like their goal to the project. I think the guy that we have on the other end doing kind of the management level stuff is very good at insulating the developers from random crazy requests. But as far as keeping some things moving forward, we're having issues right now with that. Yeah, and there's I don't remember the distinction. Like I've I got a lot of the software management stuff from Microsoft side, but they have like a product manager and like a program manager. And there's one level is like the more technical of like passing out tasks, figuring out dependencies, you know, more of a project lead, but not as much coding. And then there's the other side, which is the more business management, which is where, you know, you hide the developers from the business side, you work with the potential customers or clients to figure out what they need in the software, that sort of thing. And a lot of times in, you know, when you have the resources, that's two separate people just because the skill sets are different. Yeah. 
So I, I want to kind of change gears a little bit. If you wind up managing the project and you're making the decisions as far as like what tools to use and what approaches uh, you want to take and, you know, agile or not agile or whatever, what's kind of your preferred tool set or what kinds of uh, solutions do you tend to lean toward? I think we did this in the show where I was ranting about agile, <laughs> but there's basically two kind of fundamental ways for me. One is for the most part, I follow something called the chaos theory of management, which is, it sounds really chaotic, but it's not. It's the weird thing. Basically, it's work on the most important thing. When that's done, work on the next most important thing. And that's basically like the Wikipedia page. You can read it in about five minutes and you get the entire concept. And then the second part is I'm adaptive. Like if a client's doing Scrum, I'll do Scrum. If they're doing capital A Agile, I'll do capital A Agile. If they're doing Waterfall, I might kind of try to make it not as, like try to limit the disadvantages of Waterfall, but I'll do Waterfall with them. And a lot of that's because I just, I try to make it so I can fit in with their organization so I can get the stuff done instead of fighting their organization. And so I guess uh, uh, that comes out of that is whatever tools they have or that they want to do, that's what I'll use. I mean, I might suggest like this one might be an improvement for these reasons, but I don't push it. If they don't want to use it or if the migration cost is too high, then we don't do it. Yeah, I, I also, I mean, like for, for ticket trackers, for instance, I'll typically say to a client, if you're using something already, then I'll use that. And if you're not using something, then you could just use, I have a copy of you know, Chili Project running on my server, and we just use that, and that's more than good enough for, for our purposes. And if they say, well, is there anything else out there, then I can go through a few different options and say, you can pay for this, you can install that, and then I, I leave them in their hands. But I would say at least half the time they already have something like that running already, so there's no reason to install or, or start with something new. Yeah, lots of my clients don't have something already, so I have pushed them to Trello mostly in the past, although I might be changing that in the future. Yeah, and I have like I have a standard so like if the client doesn't have a bug tracker or they don't have you know a real time chat system like I say here's what I use with almost all my other clients this is my recommended tool um, and then I might have like a couple other ones if that doesn't fit for price scale or you know whatever reason but I don't try to push it I just say like you know here's what I use I have the most experience here so you're gonna get the most bang for your buck out of it yeah yeah I like that approach. And I've been playing with several different systems. I think I've finally settled on Redmine for my project management. And, uh, you know, I tend to use Skype for my discussions, though I have been trying some of the other ones out that are out there, you know, that provide you different chat rooms and whatever. But, yeah, there are a lot of options out there for the different things that you can do. Yeah, I've, I've found that so many of my clients use Skype that setting up an IM chat room in Skype is is pretty natural, even if they're not necessarily used to using it for that. Pretty quickly, they get, they get up to speed on that, and I think they see it as a useful thing. But I've, I've used other systems, too. And at the end of the day, as, as long as you have some sort of live chat, I, I feel that that really does add a lot to the communication in a, in, among members of a team, especially if they're distributed. Yeah, and I mean, I had a client who, I mean, I'm West Coast US, and he was in Switzerland. And we ended up going all the way back to just using email, and then at the time, we were using Redmine. And so basically those are the two systems we used and maybe once a month we would have a phone call which would be like early early his morning or late late his day and that would be just to kind of go over stuff where we you know we were like lines were getting crossed on text chat and it was like a half hour talk and that was it and that project ran for two or three years i don't remember how long like it was a pretty successful project for how little communication tools we use so are there any other techniques or tricks or tools that you can use to make things a little bit simpler when you're dealing with other contractors? Um, a big hammer comes in handy. <laughs> <laughs>
For their hands or the keyboard? Uh, it depends if they're typing too much or not typing enough. <laughs> uh, I mean, I always tend to go on the lower side. Like it's easier to add tools than to remove them because you always have like one or two people who I have to have this tool. And so if they have to have it, then it tends to stick around the whole team. And it's really hard to take tools away from people when it's not working for the team as a whole. And the other thing, I, it's not so much, it's a process thing I found is if you're having problems with people, like just communicate an idea or anything, go to higher fidelity. I mean, I, I work at home. I don't really go on site to clients, but I've had a client where it was just much easier just to fly up and sit down with them for half a day than it was to try to talk to them over the phone or even video chat and try to get the ideas across and never be afraid to kind of accelerate that and just say, Hey, we need to have a phone call We're we're not making this work with this tool. Yeah. Yeah. No, no matter how good the tool is phone or if you want Skype chats, like actual voice communication are, are still much better for nuanced communication and really getting to the fine points. Yeah. I and mean, there's a lot you can pick up even just in voice. It's like, well, I think that's a great idea or I think that's a great idea. Same words, completely different meaning. Yep. Makes sense. All right. Anything else to add? Uh, since like, the show kind of got started on like you're in a bad environment, I, I always bring this out because a lot of people are afraid of it. Uh, if you're under contract with someone, make sure in your contract you have a way to get out because you can always just fire the client and walk away. It's kind of the, you know, atomic method, atomic weapon method of kind of getting out of there. But if you're in a really toxic place, you can't make it better. It's probably better for you, your sanity and all that stuff just to get out and just let them be toxic on their own. I, I could not have said that better or echo it more strongly. Absolutely. I, I think I've now fired two clients, three clients over the last number of years. And each time I was nervous about doing it. And after I did it, I was so, so, so relieved to have gotten out of that just rat's nest of code and behavior and problems. And if you don't, if you're too scared to do that, see if you can just let the contract lapse without renewing it and just say like, I want to pursue other opportunities or some other non-committal answer and just let it go when it's done. I mean, I, I know it hurts it, you know, especially to the pocketbook, but you're probably better off without a toxic environment. Uh, I should add also the most recent client I left, these guys who had bad coders and then didn't pay me on time. So I, I called the CEO and I said, look, I'm going to be leaving your project. And he was completely and utterly stunned. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean about this and I don't want to screw you over and I will try to help you out and make sure there's a transition. So if there's another developer, I will talk to them. I will help them. If you want to bring it in house, I will talk to your people in house. Uh, and I ended up going in for an hour or two uh, to their office and did not charge them for it just to do that sort of transition work. Um, and partly because I felt like this was the right thing to do. And partly, and this is a little self-serving, Israel's a really small country with a very small high-tech area. And you don't want to get a bad reputation. At the end of the day, that's what we've got in the freelancing world, our reputations. So I definitely feel good about having finished that project, but I also feel good about how I did it, that I, I left on at least a, a semi-positive note. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, let's uh, let's head into the picks, shall we? Curtis, do you want to start off with the picks? Sure. I'm going to pick a new backpack that I got a while ago from Mission Workshops. I do a lot of cycling, and this is a waterproof messenger bag, but it is better than my old Chrome bag because it has a full laptop compartment in it with a like enough room for my iPad and enough three little pockets on the front of it for a bunch of other things. Plus, it still has the huge compartment. So although it says it's about the same size as the old one, I can fit about double the stuff in it. I just rode back from Vancouver 
which is about a 60-mile ride with all my stuff for six days, plus my laptop and everything else in it. And the bag handled it beautifully. And it's actually from the original uh, owners of Chrome, who sold Chrome a number of years ago. Cool. Reuven, what are your picks? So I got three picks for this week. Uh, number one is, I can't believe I've been using Python and teaching it for so long. I never discovered it until about a month or so ago. Python Tutor, pythontutor.com. It is amazing. You enter code, and then it steps you through it one line at a time, drawing graphically all the variables and how they work uh, and the various variable scopes. And I found in teaching my classes, it has been, first of all, much, much, much easier to read than my handwriting on a whiteboard and more standardized. So even when it's fairly complex, it works. And there are a few variants of this Python tutor that also work in other languages. So for instance, there's a, a Ruby version and a JavaScript version. Uh, and I'm putting a link to the main one on the, in the show notes and you can, you can go to the other ones from there. Uh, second one is I've been trying to monitor my weight and even lose some weight recently. And I read years and years ago the Hacker's Diet book. I'm not convinced that the book as like a strategy for losing weight or maintaining weight is the best one, but the online tool is actually really great. Uh, it gives you a nice running average and it sort of, uh, sort of, yeah, averages your weight over the last week. Uh, and the graphs are free and available and cool and nice to use. So I definitely recommend those. Uh, and the third one is, as I'm sure everyone has heard, the new season of House of Cards is out on Netflix. And I am totally, totally loving it. I really love politics and I love these sorts of dramas. I have to agree with the reviewers who said that it goes way into the fantasy realm. Like Washington couldn't even, even our worst nightmares, it couldn't run this way. But that doesn't make it any less entertaining. So I, I definitely recommend if you need something to do, if, if you if you have nothing to do for 13 hours, go watch this. All right, that's it for this week. All right, Eric, what are your picks? Um, I got a few today. One is a iOS game I've been playing called New World Colony. Uh, it's basically a strategy game. It's pretty fun. The thing I like about it the most is it works on iPad and iPhone, but even on the iPhone, you can actually play it pretty good. It's turn-based, all that. And it's it's very fun just to pull out for five minutes, play, save your game, and come back later. Uh, the next pick is just kind of on topic with the show is I'm going to link to the pre- Peter Principle on Wikipedia. Uh, it's basically a management theory that says that uh, people get promoted in an organization until they become incompetent. Uh, there's a funny one in there by the creator of Dilbert, who basically says that the least smart people are promoted simply because they're the ones you don't want doing the actual work. So, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, and then there's I, there, I found it, it's probably not that relevant, but there's, I guess, a, a software version of the Peter Principle that software systems become more complex over time until even the creators can't understand it. Nice. Well, I'm going to throw a few picks out there. The first one, I I read the book Tribes by Seth Godin. Really enjoyed it. Um, That's all I really have to say about that. It kind of inspired me to be a little bit more of a rebel, I guess. but More of a tribal man? Yeah, something like that. Um, We also went down to the St. George Parade of Homes. Um, saw a bunch of houses, which was a lot of fun. One thing that I always think is interesting, you know, in comparison to... The freelancers is these, these home builders are, you know, they're businesses that go out and build homes. And the parade of homes is kind of their way of showing off their work. And what's really interesting is, is we always go with my father-in-law, who's a general contractor. And so he's always pointing things out that, you know, that's sloppy. That's wrong. That's, you know, this looks funny and this is why. And, and it just, it really kind of drives home, you know, that, that quality, if you know what you're doing is, is really evident. Um, one of the other things that I realized, uh, during this particular parade of homes 
was that, you know, I pulled one of the drawers out in one of the kitchens and, you know, was just kind of, you know, checking it out. And it turned out that um, when I felt the underside of it, I realized that it was made out of particle board. And if you've done damage to anything made out of particle board, you know that it's basically impossible to fix. And it, it also doesn't stand up to wear and tear the same way that, you know, just a plank of wood would. And so it was really interesting to me, you know, that even though on the outside it looks terrific, it can still be made of some subpar uh, materials underneath. Anyway, so, yeah, I, I've got a whole bunch of object lessons out of that that I'm probably going to be blogging about. But uh, anyway, those are my picks, and I guess we don't have any other announcements or anything, so we'll wrap this up, and we'll catch you all next week. 